welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 26, Labor of Love. All right, to start off, I just want to thank everyone who reached out to me this week and let me know that you're listening. It just made me so happy, and it's so fun to just know who is listening rather than just see my little number ticker go up and not really know who's listening. So that was awesome. I loved it. If you didn't reach out this week, feel free to reach out um, this upcoming week. And I just would love to know who are the faces behind the numbers that I'm seeing. So that was really fun. So thank you so much. I got a great response there. Um, I am recording this early, which normally I'm recording it like right when I'm releasing it. But we as a family are headed to Hawaii. So I'm recording early so I can make sure that I still get an episode out this week. I'm hoping I'll be able to get an episode out and not miss a week. It kind of just depends on how it all goes. I feel like I should be able to, but we kind of get back the day I would normally release. So if anything, it'll be a day late. And if I feel like it ends up being too much where I'm going to have to ignore my children in order to get it out, I might just skip a week. So I'll just see how that goes. But I did want to make sure I got an episode out for the week that I am gone, which is this week. One thing I wanted to do and I've been wanting to do for a while is kind of just go through the scriptures, the chapters in more of um, a verse by verse kind of way and kind of think out loud to myself and now to you. It's kind of normally how I study. As I read through, I kind of go through verse by verse and kind of think my thoughts. Sometimes my thoughts are interesting. Sometimes I'm sure they're pretty generic. Um, But I think it's good sometimes, and I like to hear this from other people, about how other people study the scriptures. And I don't know that my way is super unique, but I always like to hear how other people are thinking about things kind of in the way, the same way that I'm reading it, where I'm reading a section and I'm thinking thoughts as I go. I like to hear other people go through the scriptures and hear their thoughts kind of as they come. And so this podcast is going to be a little bit different because I am not structuring it quite as um, rigidly because I kind of want it to be more of how it's just naturally coming out of my brain because I always think that's interesting to to see how other people do that. So hopefully this will be um, interesting to you. So this section is uh, section 18. This is 18 and 19 is the Lord speaking to Oliver Cowdery. And I love it because I feel like it just completely encompasses the entire plan of salvation, the entire plan of the gospel, and really makes us think about what is really important. What is the meat of the gospel? What is actually important for us to focus on? And he's pretty clear about it here. So the first verse that really stood out to me was verse eight in in section 18. And it says, and now marvel not that I have called him, Joseph Smith, Unto mine own purpose, which purpose is known in me, wherefore, if he shall be diligent in keeping my commandments, he shall be blessed unto eternal life, and his name is Joseph. So that just struck me because I was thinking, you know, as somebody who it's easy whenever we read about Joseph Smith or we read about the prophets of old in the scriptures to imagine them as characters in a story and not so much as real flawed people. And I mean, ultimately we know that, know that they were flawed, but we didn't get to see that in person and, and really see the real person behind the quote character. And so I find it so interesting and um, so personal that the Lord knew that Oliver 
sometimes was marveling that Joseph Smith was called of God. And it made me think of the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, and it says, God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And thinking about this just makes me think about how incredibly wise our Father in Heaven is. Think of how faith-promoting or or how that really requires faith of us to have imperfect leaders and imperfect per- people that he works his purposes through. And we have to, A, understand and have faith that God works through imperfect people to accomplish his works. And then B, also, like we've been talking about, believe in the atonement of Jesus Christ and know that even these servants that he's working through, these people that we want to idolize and and think of more as characters in a book than real people, we need to believe and have faith in the atonement of Jesus Christ and realize that great things can be brought to pass through people that are imperfect because the grace provided by the atonement of Jesus Christ is sufficient. So how wise is that, that Heavenly Father made that a part of his plan, that he would use imperfect people and not hide their imperfections so that we can know that the grace of Christ is sufficient to make up for those imperfections and still allow him to accomplish his purposes through these people. And that in turn reminds us that the same can apply to us. We are imperfect. We are painfully aware of our imperfections. And because we see all of these leaders and leaders in our own lives, our bishops, our our stake presidents, our Relief Society presidents, and they are imperfect, but there is nothing wrong with it. It was part of the plan for the leaders of the church to be imperfect. It was part of the plan for you to be imperfect and his purposes can still be accomplished through them and through you and through Joseph Smith. And so we shouldn't marvel that these ordinary people are being called to do great things. And for the purpose of your own life, don't marvel as you read the scriptures, as you think about the responsibilities you have. Don't marvel that the Lord has asked you to do these things and expects these great things of you. Because he has prepared a plan wherein you can repent, you can be imperfect, and still accomplish his work exactly as he would have you do. The Lord next goes on to tell Oliver Cowdery that his um, calling is to call men everywhere to repent. And he says in verse 10, remember the worth of souls is great in the sight of God. Marion G. Romney said, Now the answer to this profound question, what is man that he should be of such inestimable worth, comes only by direct revelation from heaven. Man is a dual being, a living soul composed of a body of spirit and a physical body. His spirit existed as an individual personal entity in a pre-mortal life long before the earth was created. As a matter of fact, this earth was expressly created as a place for the spirits of men to take on mortality. I think sometimes we forget the implication of our earth, the the fact that the earth even exists, the implication that that has for how much each soul is worth. The earth was created, expressly created 
as a place for the spirits of men to take on mortality. What a grand demonstration of love from our Heavenly Father. Think of the sacrifice, of the planning, of the great care that He has taken to ensure that we have the ability to become like Him. Remember, the worth of souls is great in the sight of God. In the next verse, he says, For behold, the Lord, your Redeemer, suffered death in the flesh, wherefore he suffered the pain of all men, that all men might repent and come unto him. He suffered the pain of all men because the worth of every soul is great in the sight of the Lord. And in verse 13, and how great is his joy in the soul that repenteth. When I read that, it made me think of in the Book of Mormon, when the Savior is ministering to to the Nephites in 3rd Nephi, and he looked around and said his joy was full and he wept. What an amazing sight that must have been to see a physical manifestation of the Lord's joy in those people. Think of the Lord's capacity to feel joy. And it says here, how great is his joy in the soul that repenteth. And why does that make him experience joy? Because he knows that repentance is our only way back. He knows that using the atonement, that repenting, is the way that we can experience our full measure of joy and become like him. And I'm sure on the flip side, as he sees us repent, he knows that that keeps us far, far away from the other side of things where we drift farther from him and we leave him and end up in a place that is the opposite of happiness and the opposite of where he wants us to end up. So he's calling Oliver. He said, Wherefore you are called to cry repentance unto this people. And if it so be that you should labor all your days in crying repentance unto this people and bring save it be one soul unto me, how great shall be your joy with him in the kingdom of my father. And now if your joy will be great with one soul that you have brought unto me into the kingdom of my father, how great will be your joy if you should bring many souls unto me. I love the beginning part of that where it says, and if it so be that you should labor all your days in crying repentance unto this people and bring save it be one soul. So if you spent all of your life, all of your days, and you brought one soul, that would be a life well lived. Think of the implied value on that one soul. When you talk about spending an entire life crying repentance and it made it worth it because that one soul was affected, that is some incredible access to joy we have. And why will we feel that joy? Why will that bring us joy? It's because the more we become like the Savior, the more we feel the same way he feels about us and every soul on the earth. The more we take upon us his name and lead our lives for him, 
the more that we care about the souls around us, the more that we experience joy through helping other people and experience joy through being a tool in the Savior's hands to help them realize their own joy. And the more we become like the Savior, the more that His will is becomes our will. His will swallows up our will. And His will is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. And so His joy, the things that bring Him joy, the more we become like Him, those things will bring us joy too. And we know that we can become like Him. And so how great is His joy for the soul that repenteth? Eventually, how great is our joy for the soul that repenteth? Not just our own soul, but the souls of those around us. This is what He gets His joy from, is from us repenting. And ultimately, that is where our joy will also come, is from aiding Him in bringing to pass the eternal life of man. And in verse 19, it says, And if you have not faith, hope, and charity, you can do nothing. And my favorite quality in there is charity. What is charity? Charity is the pure love of Christ, the love for the people around you. And if you don't have love for those that you are serving, for those that that you are ministering to, you can do nothing that will be effective. And why does that make you ineffective? Because you won't have the Spirit with you. And we know that the hearts of men will not be affected by the words of someone who does not have the Spirit with them. Because the Spirit is the teacher, not you. The Spirit is the one that can change the heart of the people you are speaking to. And again, in verse 28, it says, And if they desire to take upon them my name with full purpose of heart, they are called to go into all the world to preach my gospel unto every creature. Yet another amazing demonstration of the Lord's love for every creature in the world. That is what he desires his servants to do. The way that they serve him, the way that we serve him, is to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then in 31, another comforting scripture that says, And now I speak unto you, the twelve, behold, my grace is sufficient for you, and you must walk uprightly before me and sin not. And those two things don't contradict each other. We have, my grace is sufficient, and walk uprightly before me and sin not. What is one of our commandments? What is one way that we don't sin, that we keep ourselves clean? It is by repenting and using the atonement. We are supposed to repent. That is one of our commandments. And so one way that we keep ourselves clean and sin not is to repent because His grace is sufficient to make your effort whole. So as he's telling us here to go out and preach the gospel and to minister to those around us, we need to have faith that his grace is sufficient, that we are qualified to do this because he has qualified us. I feel this way a lot as I'm doing this podcast. I'm not a, I'm not this incredible scriptorian, clearly, probably can tell, but I do have a testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe that he qualifies me to speak to you, not because I'm super knowledgeable, not because I know everything, but because his grace is sufficient for me. 
And I know I am called to do this. I know that someone, some person will be affected by it and not because of me. It, they will be affected because the spirit is in these words. The spirit is in the scriptures. The spirit is in my heart. And I know that it will affect someone in some way. And so it doesn't matter that I'm not perfect. It doesn't matter that I'm not qualified on paper. And it doesn't matter that you maybe don't feel qualified either. The spirit qualifies you. Your testimony qualifies you. And I want, if I can convey anything to anyone, is that there is no reason, no rationale, no justification for why you shouldn't be telling everyone you know about the gospel of Jesus Christ and about the good news that it brings into our lives and about the plan of happiness and how incredibly amazing the gospel is and the atonement and repentance. And I could keep going on and on. You are qualified. If you have a testimony, if you have the spirit with you, you are qualified. It doesn't matter that you don't know the scriptures perfectly. It doesn't matter that you maybe don't feel as eloquent as others. If you have the spirit with you, if you labor all your days, just as that scripture previously said, if you labor all your days and you only help one person, how great will be your joy. What a great reward for something that we should be doing, for something that is is required of us, something that is a commandment as a disciple of Jesus Christ to spread the gospel to all the world. His grace is sufficient for you. And we need to believe it. And we need to believe in him and believe him when he tells us that his grace is sufficient for us to do everything that he has asked us to do. So don't hide under the justification that you just aren't qualified. Your testimony qualifies you. Your discipleship to the Lord Jesus Christ qualifies you. Through him, you can be a powerful force for good in the world. And I believe that with all my heart. He continues in verse 45, Wherefore the blessings which I give unto you are above all things. Sometimes I think about all of the things that our, our human mortal brains can't comprehend, like how large space is or, or how long eternity is or, or things like that. And so when I see the phrase above all, all things the blessings that we give that he, that we can receive are above all things and that just kind of boggles my mind that the lord is so loving and so generous to us that we have the opportunity to receive blessings above all things and we have the opportunity to help affect others so that they can receive blessings above all things isn't that so amazing that we can be a part of that service if we believe, if we have faith, hope, and charity? So the next section, section 19, is such a cool one. So in the Come Follow Me manual, um, it says, The New Testament describes the Savior's suffering in Gethsemane from the perspective of those who observed it. In Doctrine and Covenants, section 19, 15 through 20, Jesus Christ told about his sufferings in his own words. I hadn't really thought about that before, how in the New Testament, it's somebody observing the Savior. But we get such 
an amazing perspective here described from the Savior, the person who experienced it from his own perspective. In verse 2, he says, I, having accomplished and finished the will of him whose I am, which I think that's a beautiful phrase, the will of him whose I am, he is the Father's. Even the Father concerning me, having done this, that I might subdue all things unto myself. Subdue all things. Subdue all sin, all evil, all pain, all heartache. I'm sure the list could keep going on. Subdue all things. In the next few verses, he talks in some kind of scary terms where he talks about eternal damnation and lots of things like that. It says, um, for behold, the mystery of godliness, how great it is for behold, I am endless. And the punishment which is given from my hand is endless punishment for endless is my name. Wherefore eternal punishment is God's punishment. Endless punishment is God's punishment. But in here, he tells us why, why he tells us these things, why he, he tells us we have to know what the consequences we have to know what the other end of our road can lead to. It says in verse 9, I speak unto you that are chosen in this thing, even as one that ye may enter into my rest. He tells us this so that we can choose the better part, so that we can choose to enter into his rest, to feel peace, to feel joy. We have to know the other side of it. And now let's read the Savior's own first-hand account of the atonement. Therefore I command you to repent. Repent, lest I smite you by the rod of my mouth, and by my wrath, and by my anger, and your sufferings be sore. How sore you know not, how exquisite you know not, yea, how hard to bear you know not. For behold, I, God, have suffered these things for all, that they might not suffer if they would repent. But if they would not repent, they must suffer even as I. Which suffering caused myself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of pain and to bleed at every pore and to suffer both body and spirit. And would that I might not drink the bitter cup and shrink. Nevertheless, glory be to the Father, and I partook and finished my preparations unto the children of men. Wherefore, I command you again to repent, lest I humble you with my almighty power that you confess your sins, lest ye suffer these punishments of which I have spoken, of which in the smallest, yea, even in the least degree, you have tasted at the time I withdrew my spirit. That last part is so descriptive. It says, Lest you suffer the punishments of which I have spoken, of which in the smallest, yea, even in the least degree, you have tasted at the time I withdrew my spirit. So he's trying to describe to us in the best possible way that we cannot even imagine how it will feel to have to suffer the punishment of our own sins if we don't use the atonement, if we don't repent. And so as we read these fire and brimstone sounding verses and the continual cry to repent, I think it's easy for us to make those sound scary and angry, but really it is just him pleading for us to use the atonement, for us to repent so that we don't have to experience that, so that he can swallow that up for us, so that he can make our burdens light and our souls can sing and our hearts can feel joyful. 
That's what those cries for repentance are. They are mercy. They are love. They are a desire for the welfare of our souls. So through that lens, I want you to listen to these um, last verses, 37 through 41 in in, um, section 19. And speak freely to all, yea, preach, exhort, declare the truth, even with a loud voice, with the sound of rejoicing, crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord God. Pray always, and I will pour out my spirit upon you, and great shall be your blessing, yea, even more than if you should obtain treasures of earth and corruptibleness to the extent thereof. Behold, canst thou read this without rejoicing and lifting up thy heart for gladness? Or canst thou run about longer as a blind guide? Or canst thou be humble and meek and conduct thyself wisely before me? Yea, come unto me, thy Savior. Amen. This is all a labor of love for you and for me and for every creature on the earth. And he wants us to join him to join him in bringing to pass the immortality and eternal life of all of his children. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.